Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, that you are the center of our joy, our healer. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for heaven. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say today during this message to the people of God. Help me to decrease. Load up your word to increase. And help us to leave from this place better than we were when we came. Thank you for our preacher. Thank you for working and helping him rest and giving him great nuggets and truths to live on. Lord, I pray you bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I like those uh, little documentaries like that with the animals. And the whole purpose of that, I was watching it a few weeks ago. It's about an hour and 20 minutes long. And it just talks about the wonders of God. I think sometimes we forget about the amazing God that we serve. We think of the animals. We think of the flowers. We think of the, all the pictures that was on there. Sometimes we think that just happened by chance. But when I think about it, man, I think, man, God is just an amazing God. And today what I want to do is I want to slow down just a little bit. And I want us to just sit back and think about what God is really like. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. That passage is full of parables from Jesus, eight different parables in that passage. Jesus used parables a lot to speak to his people. Those parables in that chapter are, de are designed to represent the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, we're just going to talk about that one verse today. And we'll go back and forth and pull out some things there and we'll talk about heaven. The Bible says... Let me make sure this is working there. Matthew 30, 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. Well, I love that verse. There's a whole lot of stuff in that passage. And I want to give you just a couple of things this morning about that, that treasure and that verse. 58 times from what I can find, the word, well, first of all, let me just say this. It was a discoverable treasure. It was a discoverable treasure. Here was this man that was walking in a field. The Bible says that he found a treasure, he, and uh, like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and he hid, and for joy already goes and sells all that he has and he buys a field. Field 58 times in the Bible, but what is significant about this field? Well, the first case, the treasure was hidden in the field. It was an open field. How many times have we driven by a field there's nothing really spectacular about that field as we drive and thinking this morning as we were driving from Spring Hill. The fields are becoming less and less, but there's still a few fields coming from that direction. But it was an open field. We find, I thought about this, this picture I looked up here. Uh, let me go back here. We found the treasure in the field. A field is a place remote from a house. No walls and no barriers where anyone could have got anyone could have gotten in. One thing I want you to see is that this man found an amazing treasure. That amazing treasure, my friend, this morning that we can look at is God. I remember the day in 1983 when I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I found an amazing treasure. Little did I know how God was going to affect my life the next 20 or 30 years. Little did I know what he was going to be doing in my life, but yet that treasure that I found several years ago was a great treasure. I want you to look at 
this verse I wrote down here. I think it's in Romans, Revelations chapter 4. I want you to see, and if we just keep that on there, it's, uh, it says, after these things I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking and saying, come here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit. This is John talking in Revelation chapter 4. He was talking about the throne of God. I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He who sat there was like a jasper and sardis and stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on, those, and on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed with white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Can you imagine that? Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Therefore, the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. Now, I don't know about you. That in itself would have scared me to death just to see that. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying... Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down from before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever and cast your crown before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord. Receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Can you imagine being in heaven and seeing that picture? Can you imagine that as the throne of God and those beasts will take those crowns off their head and worship and follow Jesus, then you and I one day, no joke, will stand before that very throne of God. And I, I started to think about that, and I thought, man, that's pretty humbling. To stand before that throne of God and watch those beasts and as they throw their crowns and then let him look at me. And, and by the way, he knows my name. He knows who I am. But you know what? That it's a humbling observation to know the amazing God we have. They, but think about this. What if, this is just my thoughts here, but what, what if I could count myself as a treasure and God had the field and he sold everything he had to acquire me and that's something to think about that God sold everything he had to acquire me you know I found I, th I think about something here when I, when I think about that Jesus died and that God gave everything he had for me made me realize that man I'm really something. Amen? <laughs> it doesn't matter what people say. I, I'm really something in the sight of God Almighty. And one thing that I can point out is the other thing we find is that I hope I'm not clicking too many times here. Let's see. 
It was a desired treasure. The man not only discovered the treasure in the field, but watch this. The Bible says he went and sold everything he had, and he did it with joy. It was a desired treasure. Can you? This man found the treasure in the field and went back and sold everything. He sold his house. He sold his cars. He sold his clothes. I don't think he sold his kids, but he sold everything that he had. But the Bible says, this is what got me, is that he did it with joy. <laughs> if you had to sell everything you had today, would you do it with joy? Can you imagine the pastor standing up and telling you today to sell everything you have? I wonder how many of us would say, oh, no problem, pastor. I'll cry. We'll get that done right away. <laughs> think about it. But he actually did it with joy. When we work for Christ, we shouldn't work for Christ out of obligation. Somebody said when we work for Christ out of obligation, it feels like work. But when we truly love Christ, our work is a manifestation of that love, and it feels like love. And by the way, none of us are worthy anyway. God knows if we truly enjoy him or not. He knows if we love him or not. It was a deliberate choice we find. Think about something. This man didn't just make a, a choice to sell everything he had without weighing it first to figure out exactly what he was doing. I thought about this early in the morning and he found a treasure in a field. He sold everything he had to buy the field. He had to make a deliberate choice to choose to sell everything. It was a deliberate choice. He did it intentionally. It wasn't a real estate deal that by chance he just stumbled across and said, maybe I see if I have a few dollars to buy that, but it was something that this man had simply looked at everything he had and he basically had, had to liquidate everything he had, or he did. He sold everything. Now, for me, for him to do that, the question that comes to my mind was, what was that treasure? <laughs> do you realize when you liquidate, you're not having a rum and sale, you're going out of business? When you liquidate, you're not keeping anything for a rainy day. When you liquidate, you're getting rid of everything. And so for me, for him to get rid of everything, the treasure he had must have been something. His thought process was, how do I get that treasure? He was thinking, man, I got to get that. I got to get that treasure. I don't care what it is. I'm going to sell it. I got to get that treasure. By the way, let me just say this. That treasure wasn't his treasure. The field he found the treasure in wasn't his field. He could not take that treasure out of the field because he would be stealing. So he said, in order for me to have that treasure, I got to go sell everything I got. I saw the treasure, by the way. He went and hid the treasure again. 
It was an open field where anybody could go in the field and get the treasure. And he said, man, I was just walking around in this field and I saw this treasure. And man, I don't want anybody to see it. First, let me go hide it. And I know how valuable it is. Let me go sell everything that I have because I want the treasure, but I want the field too. And man, that guy sold everything for the treasure. And how much more should we give everything to Jesus? Scott Oswald, last week talked about how God was impressing on his family's heart to adopt a child. And he was asking his wife how he was going to get it. And she said, sell T-shirts. But little did he know that God was behind that. And boy, they were able to do the things they're doing today. Selling those T-shirts. But even as we think about that. I want to give you something else here on that decision. God requires excellent. I think I had my PowerPoints mixed up, but that's okay. But God requires excellent from us. Look at Malachi 1.11. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God says, listen, if you're not going to give me excellence, and if you're not going to worship me, I'll find someone to do it. Malachi chapter 3, he goes on and starts telling us about bringing our gifts as the tithes and offerings. God was telling the priest to give him excellence. You know what? When we worship God, when we're in church, we need to give God the best that we have. We need to give God excellence. You know, God doesn't want anything less from us but excellence. Amen? Nothing but excellence. 2006 or 7, after pastoring a church in our hometown of Saginaw, Michigan, the Lord started to do something in my life. Pastored that church for 16 years. And the Lord started to do some crazy things. Matter of fact, I started to have some crazy thoughts about what God was trying to do. And I had a serious issue because I was pastoring that church and, you know, I was involved in, we, I went to a legalistic college. If you've ever heard of Bob Jones, you can call those names, but I did. But Bob, Bob Jones, we, we, were, we thought Bob Jones was liberal at my school. We were like top. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, you know, so when it came to legalism, you know, we had to dress right. We had to, we, we had, our hair couldn't be over our ears and our girls had to wear dresses and guys, they couldn't wear pants and just a bunch of rules. And so I had all those rules down when I was pastoring. I thought I was, that kind of brought me some favor. But God said, no, nah, Marvin, let me ask you a question. Do, do, you, do you really love me? And I was, Pastor Chris, I was counseling some people in my office one day, my wife, and they were sitting there talking to me. It was a couple. And in my heart, I was saying, what do you want? The Lord started convicting me and asking me if I loved him. And I said, of course I do, God. I'm a pastor. Of course I do. I go to church. Of course I do. I, I, I read my Bible, right? I preach every week. I go out travel and preach. I said, that ain't what I asked you. I asked you, did you, did you, did you, did you really, do you love me? And I couldn't answer it. And God said something else to me later on. He said, you love me enough to walk away from that church? 
Because more important than you being a pastor, more important than you standing up giving the gospel, more important than you even winning souls is making sure that I love you, love me. You know, God was not that concerned about me being a pastor as he was about me loving you. So God challenged me. He said, I want you to walk away from it. Nothing was wrong in our church. And I did. And all the way to Nashville, Tennessee, my kids were just crying, crying, crying. Because we were leaving that city. Now they wouldn't even go back if I paid them to go back. <laughs> we came to Strong Tower. And Pastor, you remember the day we first came? Man, the girls had dresses on down to the thing. And I had a suit on, and Pastor Darrell was kind of laughing. He said, he teases me today and said, Preacher, you, you were just in you, you were just like legalism all over you, man. And, and then Pastor Chris gets up in the Titans shirt and the hat and blue jeans and starts to preach. Messed me up totally. <laughs> no way God's, God's power can be on a man that preaches in blue jeans and T-shirt and a Titans hat. I've never seen that before in my life. And then Christy gets up a few weeks later, and I, I'll be honest with you, in all the years of my studying in college, I've never, ever sat under a woman speaking anywhere. And Christy preached one day, and it messed me up totally. My kids were at the end of the road looking at me going, are we leaving? Are we still leaving? <laughs> all I could do was cry at the end of that service. I was so bogged down with legalism. But I'm going to tell you something. These seven, eight years that we've been in Nashville, God has taught me how to love him. He's helped me with my relationship with him. And in my mind that I thought I was just going to sit back and just relax and listen to preachers preach, God is starting to put me in places to preach. Because he's saying to me, I didn't call you to sit. But I want you to know something, church, is that God wants you to do something and he wants you to do it with excellence. Let me show you something else on there. It was a deliberate choice. He made a careful process. But let me show you something here. You see, I want you to know that life is short. One thing God's teaching me is that life is short. 18 people that I know, family and friends, and you saw in that picture, in 2015, passed away. One of those pictures is my aunt. One is my brother-in-law. The police officer was a friend of mine that I rode together with on the police force. And so many other people on that list. One is a cousin. Three of those people died within two weeks of each other, and I went to their funerals. God is saying, man, whatever life is short. Acknowledge the, the treasure that we found and realize that it won't be long for every one of us will have to stand before God. Let me show you this. Harold Young, just leave that there for a minute. The most recent of those, three weeks ago, I was driving to Michigan with my assistant, and I knew Harold was sick. Harold's about 350 pounds. I've seen him bench press about 400 pounds in his garage. He was an All-American football player in Michigan, went to college. I think he even played a year in pro. Heard he was sick, and as we were driving down through Kentucky, I don't like to go through 75 to Ohio. I like to go to Kentucky to Indiana, and my GPS rerouted me. 
So I fixed it to go back to where I wanted to go, and, and little did I know, it rerouted me again halfway through the trip. About an hour later, his wife called me and said, Marv, I heard you coming to Saginaw. Harold's in the hospital. I said, I know. I'm going to come and see him when I get there. She said, no, he's not in Saginaw Hospital. He's in the University of Michigan Hospital in Detroit. I said, well, okay. I'll have to see him the next day. And two hours later, his son called and said, Marvin, I don't know if you know this, but my dad just took a turn for the worse. The doctor said that he won't live through the night. And I said, your mom said he's at University of Michigan Hospital. He said, she, he is. I looked at my GPS and Pastor Chris, I was 45 minutes from the hospital. Now I know why my GPS rerouted me the other way. Got there at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning and Harold, believe, was unconscious. He, wasn't, he was breathing, but he was just laying there and his eyes was closed. And that 350-pound body that I used to know was down to 150 pounds. And I touched his arm and I said, Harold, it's Marv. And God is my witness. He opened his eyes. He raised his head. He grabbed my hand. And he said, Marv, Marv, Marv. And the sister said, wow, you guys must have been good friends. I said, take it easy, Harold. I said, but Harold, let me, I know we talked about this before, but I don't know if you know Jesus. Let me give you the gospel. And man, Harold just, I believe he prayed with me. And I said, Harold, rest and go to sleep. It's okay, I'll be here for a while. Drove back to where I was going, and two hours later, Pastor Chris, he died. God was just showing me how short life is. Let me, I saw this person do this one time. I want to do something real fast. Don't worry, I'm not going nowhere. By the way, isn't it amazing how when we think about life, can you hold that, Brother Manny? Just take that back there, would you? But when we think about life, all right, there you go. I should have did this before, but look at this. We live life this way. We live life, this is life. We live life because this is all we see. Isn't it amazing that all the hours in our days that we spend is right here? Everything we do is, is all about this life. It's about what we got right now. It's about what we can see today. But if you look at the length of that rope, that's eternity. And the problem is that we live this way instead of living that way. Is that right? You see, when I live this way, I'm real careful about who I talk, what I say to people. Because I realize I got to live that way for the longest. When I, when I look and live this way, man, I tell you what, I'm, I'm careful what I do. I'm careful where I go. I'm careful what I say. Because I'm living life that way. You know, at the end of this rope is the, a beautiful family that I even asked permission to even talk about them. And that's the Bell family. And when Stephanie Bell passed away, we just moved here. I didn't know the whole story about Stephanie Bell. But I spent those nights in the hospital, those days in the hospital with them, and didn't really know. But recently, you know, her mom puts this stuff on Facebook and the videos, and I'm saying, Mrs. Bell, I didn't know your daughter did all that stuff. I didn't know she was a dancer. I didn't know she did poetry. I didn't know she did all. Wow! 
And her life was even shorter than that. But folks, I, I think what we need to do is we need to worry about the fact that, man, life is just extremely, extremely short. It's too short for me to try to control my friend or control somebody. It's too short for me to be mad at somebody because they didn't do it the way I wanted them to do it. It's too short to worry about pride and ego and all that stuff and being mad. Because one of these days, we're going to have to live that life. I, I, I want to show you something. We go on. First Corinthians 13, I want you to read that with me. It says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, read that with me, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing, and I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profited nothing. God says it don't matter what you do. If you don't have love, you don't have nothing. It doesn't matter what you say. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. It doesn't matter how well you can sing. If you don't have love, you don't have nothing. I'm going to give you an exercise to do in a minute. Husbands, maybe you look at your wives when you do this, and wives look at your husbands. Why don't you do something? Look at this verse here. Charity suffereth long. It's kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not our own. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoices no, not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity or love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall what? Vanish away. Now watch this. I want you to read that, but I want you to put your name in that. Let's read together. Let's read out loud, but I want you to put your name in that verse. Ready? Marvin suffers long. Marvin is kind. Marvin is not. Marvin vaunted not itself. Marvin is not puffed up. Put your name in there. Rejoice in that iniquity. How you doing so far? You good? I don't know about you, but I got halfway through and I said, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. Marvin is not always long-suffering. Marvin doesn't always envy. Envy if not. Marvin doesn't always believe all things. He definitely doesn't hope all things. And I tell you what, as my wife, I don't always endure all things. If you ever want the truth about something, don't ask your wife. I asked my wife the other day, I said, can I ask you a question? You know, 2007, when I just walked away, what was I really like? Sometimes you don't even see it yourself. And she said, you were bitter. You were angry. You were mad at people. You were just hard to get along with. Who asked you? But it was true. It's true. Who are we to hold somebody else under our thumb 
because they didn't do what we want them to do. We're all sinners, right? Don't have time to go through the rest of this, but I want to tell you this story. It's called The Dead Son's Portrait. There was a man who, I think the story goes like he was a British man. He was very sick. But his son was ill too. And before the man died, his son died before him. This man was a wealthy man. He had portraits all in his house. He was a very wealthy guy. And he said, um, when he died, they, they auctioned his house off and all the things in his house. And the auctioneer got up and he said, well, before we get the auction started and the sale started, the will says that we have to sell the portrait of this man's son first. And the people were like, what? We didn't come in for some silly portrait of a dead boy. Let's get on with the auction. Let's get the other stuff. Let's get to the good merchandise. He said, I'm sorry, but that's what we have to do. He said, who will give $100 for this picture? $100 going once. And a little servant in the back raised his hand. He was a man's servant. And they said, oh, come on, man. Just go ahead and give them the picture. Who take, who take 150, 200 for it? Anybody? The man said, I'll take it. He said, so to the servant. And the child, the, the, the crowd just cheered and, and said, yeah, all right. It's good, good. Now we're, we're done with this and we can get on with the auction. And the attorney came back up and said, I got to read the other part of the will. It says, whoever gets the portrait of the son gets it all. And you could hear the crowd screaming and shouting and yelling and saying, that's, that's crazy, that's crazy. And my friend, I, I want to tell you something. If you get the son, <laughs> you, you got it all, right? You get it all. You see, I think the, the problem we have today is that, man, you know, this, when this guy bought that field, he, he, when he found the treasure, he had to buy the field. Let me say this and I'm done. He had to buy that field to get that treasure, but when he bought that field, he realized that he couldn't go back because he sold everything that he had, and now the field was going to be the very thing that keep him alive and because he had that treasure in there. And you know what? The same thing with Jesus. A lot of us see the treasure, but we don't buy the field. We don't buy Jesus. We don't buy the things that he tells us to do. We don't buy living for him. We don't buy selling everything with God and giving it to the poor. We don't buy forgiving others. We don't buy that. The question is, when are you going to buy it? Did you buy all that? You buy Jesus? Is it just something you say? Man, we're special to him. And I asked a good friend of mine to sing a song about that. Come on, Tiffany. I love you, man. 